0: Thanks for listening to audio from North Monroe. To learn more about who we are, visit NorthMonroe.com or download the North Monroe app in the App Store or on Google Play. Now, here's this week's message. So it was about a month ago. I got gone to lunch, came back, and we're just kind of standing in the hallway of the offices, a couple of us guys on staff, and we're just talking. And then uh, Bill goes to head back to his office and then kind of turns back and looks toward us and nonchalantly says, Hey, uh, I'm going to be gone the Sunday of Labor Day. Would you like to fill in for me? And he was kind of looking in my direction, but I kind of looked over my shoulder to see if maybe he was talking to somebody else. And I really didn't know how to respond. And and to be honest with you, uh, the best way that I can describe it, I don't know if anybody in here has ever been in a car wreck All right. Uh, But if you've ever been traveling at a high speed and maybe somebody pulls out in front of you or you hit a wet spot and all of a sudden you feel like I've lost control, I'm about to have an accident and the the adrenaline just pours into your body and everything just kind of slows down. It's kind of what happened in the hallway of the offices on that day and 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 I didn't know how to respond. My my first reaction was, No, I don't want to get up there and talk in front of all those people. And and then I was like, Well, well maybe maybe I do want to get up there and talk in front of those people. And then I thought, well maybe I should run and hide. Maybe I should give Bill a hug. I'm glad I didn't do that. But then I realized all these thoughts were going on in my head and I haven't actually responded to his question. So I gathered my thoughts and calmly said, I mean Bill, if If you need me to fill in for you, I'll be happy uh, to stand up there and do that. And then I took a deep breath and, and, and went and text Jennifer, but I couldn't really get the letters on the phone. I didn't know what was happening. So here I am. And it's been a month since we had that conversation. Last month has been crazy. It's been busy. We've been getting ready for men's retreat. And so last week was men's retreat weekend. And on that Sunday morning, like if you've been part of the men's retreat, it's a little bit crazy. Right, a little bit chaotic. We got 50, 60 guests are, that are off campus at a campsite and we got a bunch of teamers that are helping. And now we have to get all the cabins packed up and we have to get luggage on a trailer and got to serve breakfast and, and figure everything out there. And then everybody's got to get their T-shirts and then we come to the church and we got to unpack a trailer and we got to get everybody in here. And last week uh, we baptized 14 guys from our ministry right that's exciting right we baptized another one this morning but but listen to get 14 guys backstage and get them baptism shirts and and make sure that everybody knows where they're supposed to be in what order like it is chaos and after all was said and done and changed back into dry clothes and and i came and sat down right over here about the time that bill got up to preach and i was thinking man i'm relaxed men's retreat is done time for a break and I looked at Bill and I thought, oh, next week that's going to be me up there. And now all the anxiety came rushing back in. So here we are. And let me just tell you, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited anytime I have the opportunity to share God's word. Uh, but today is a little bit different. It's a little bit different for me because uh, being up here is kind of what Blake was talking about he, earlier. It's kind of an Ebenezer. It's a reminder Uh, that I'm here for for one reason and one reason only. It's because of what God has done in my life, okay? Uh, It's nothing that I've done. It's no accomplishment uh, that I've had. Uh, But listen, I don't take lightly the opportunity that I have this morning. You see, five years ago, uh, me and Jennifer, my wife, and our two kids, we were members here at North Monroe. I wasn't on staff, uh, but I was what I like to call a box checker. See, I was here most Sundays, not just for the worship service, but also for Life Group. Uh, And not only that, but every four or five weeks, uh, I would help lead uh, the Life Group study. And and every week, Thursday morning, 5 a.m., I was in a Bible study at 5 a.m. Like, that's like super Christian status, right? But then I realized the truth was and I was just checking boxes. I was just checking boxes. I was selfish. only cared about myself and what I wanted. And I did the things that I wanted to do. I mean, all I was doing is going to church and and help leading the life. We've been going to Bible study so I could check a box, check a box, check a box, check a box. My identity was not in Jesus Christ. My identity was in my career. My identity was in how much money I could make, how big my bonus check was going to be each month, and and where I ranked amongst my peers on a chart. That's where my identity was at. In September of 2017, I went on Northamnose First Men's Retreat. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Jeff's about to share one of those uh, exciting men's retreat transformation stories. But the truth is, I went to the men's retreat for one reason. It was a box that needed to be checked, right? So I signed up, I went, I came off, checked the box, did that, and then back to my career, back to working, back to focused on me and myself. And a month later, I get a phone call, and it's, it's my boss. It's human resources, and I, I've shared my testimony with a lot of guys in this room, and I'm happy to share that testimony anytime, place. But to make a long story short, that phone call was basically, could be summed up this way, Jeff, you are selfish, you do what you want to do, you don't care about other people. And when you're confronted with those facts, you try to deny them, sweep them under the rug, act like it's no big deal, and because of that, we're terminating your employment with our company talk about a punch in the gut you mean you're terminating my job the only reason that I uprooted my family from Texas and moved them to Louisiana that yeah, that's correct you mean you're you're terminating my only source of income that I have to take care of my family. That's correct. You're right. You mean you're terminating my employment, the place where I get my identity? Yes. And let me tell you, I didn't know what to do. Not only have I lost my job and I now have to go and tell my wife that I've lost my job because I'm a sinner and I only care about myself. And I was in a spot where I didn't have answers. And I did not know what to do. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning, is what to do when you don't know what to do. It's probably the longest sermon title you've ever heard, but hang on, we're going to talk about it. Here's what I know. Looking back over the last five years, God has been faithful. Uh, God has allowed me to go through things because He loves me, and He wants to draw me to Himself. And when we respond in desperate situations and how we respond in desperate situations, it tells the world what we truly and really believe about God. You hear me? And the truth is, when you look around a room this size and you see this many people, there is no doubt in my mind that there are people in this room that are in the middle of an I don't know what to do type of situation. Maybe you're like me. Maybe you have your identity placed in something other than Jesus Christ, and that thing has been stripped away. Maybe it's a job. Maybe you place your identity in your kids and their performance and, and they're not doing so hot right now. And like you've lost a little bit of your identity. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe you're in a in a relationship where your spouse is saying, I don't know if this is gonna work out. And all of a sudden you feel like I don't know what to do. Maybe it's news that you received, a diagnosis. Maybe you've lost a loved one. God forbid you lost a child. Doctor says you're in the middle of a, of a storm. You're in the middle of a sickness, an illness that may take your life, or, or at the very least you're going to have to go through this treatment that is going to strip you of your strength and your dignity, and, and you don't know how to handle it. You or your family maybe have somebody that is wrapped up in addiction, and, man, you just you don't know what to do. I want to talk about that this morning, because our first reaction whenever we're in a situation like this is to feel like we're all alone. Our first reaction is to feel like we're the only person that has been in a situation so desperate that we can't possibly figure out what to do. However, if we look at God's word, we can find a similar situation in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, we see a story about King Jehoshaphat. And in chapter 19 of 2 Chronicles, he's had the job of appointing judges uh, to judge the, the, the people of Judah. Not only has he appointed those judges, but he's also told them and taught them how to judge the people uh, accordingly and, and justly. Uh, and he's taken care of that. And certainly when you get to 2 Chronicles chapter 20, he's thinking, man, that was a difficult task. Maybe, just maybe, I can take a break. And King Jehoshaphat was a good king, um, not a perfect king, uh, but he was good. And you get to Second Chronicles chapter 20, and in verse one it says, "After this, the armies of the Moabites, the Ammonites and some of the Mennonites declared war on Jehoshaphat. Messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, "A vast army from Eden is marching against you from beyond the Dead Sea." They are already at Hezazon Tamar. This was another name for Getty. You know, we have Jehoshaphat's I don't know what to do moment. In the previous chapter, go and appoint judges and teach them how to do that. Okay, I can handle that. I know how to wrap my head around that. I can take care of that. Hey, Jehoshaphat, there's an, a unified army coming up against you. He does not know how to handle that information. This is not a, uh, this is not a hey, you're going to have a bad day Top of news, this is not a, hey, you're about to go to war, uh, and it's going to be a tough fight, but everything's going to be all right. No, this is three different nations have unified and come together to attack you. This is, this is the news that Jehoshaphat, this is, this is a death sentence, is what this is. And it's not like he's got a lot of time either. These three nations, uh, they were just on the other side of the Dead Sea and Jordan River. This was the area where the, the, the children of Israel wandered in the desert for, for 40 years. Uh, And it's not far away to begin with, but but the news is is that they're not making plans. They've already come together. They've already crossed over to the west side uh, of the Dead Sea, and it says that they're in Angeti, which is which is like 25 miles as the crow flies away from Jerusalem. Not only are they coming, Jehoshaphat, they're already here. You don't have any time to prepare. And as we continue to read in Second Chronicles. We can see how to react when we get into a similar situation as Jehoshaphat was in. In 2 Chronicles 20 verses 3 and 4 it says, Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news and he begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. So people from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. You see what the first thing that Jehoshaphat did was Jehoshaphat looked to the Lord. He looked to the Lord. Uh, notice at the end of verse 4, it says that everybody in Judah came to re- together in Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. And before we kind of look more closely at what he did, I want us to notice some things that he didn't do. Things that, that we have a, a tendency to do when we get the news like Jehoshaphat got. The first thing that he didn't try to do is he didn't try to come up with a solution of his own. Is that anybody in this room? Like we get faced with a situation or we get news that we don't like or we are in that I don't know what to do moment and we start spinning our heads. We start coming up with a plan. We start coming up with ideas that we can get out of this on our own. That's not what Jehoshaphat does. We have a tendency to want to help God out. right? We'll cry out to the Lord but we want His help to come accomplish our plan. But that's not what works. But let me Tell you If that's your natural instinct, that your natural instinct is when things are falling apart to try to come and do it on your own, that comes to, to us naturally. If we look back in Genesis chapter 3 at the very beginning, God has created the heavens and the earth, and it's good. He's created the Garden of Eden, and it's good. And He's created Adam, and He's given Adam a helper, and Eve, and they're wandering around in the Garden of Eden, and everything is good. One instructor. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Just, just one thing I don't want you to do. Well, if you've read Genesis, or if you have a toddler or a teenager, you know what's coming next, right? One instruction, don't do it. Let's read what happened. She took some of the fruit and ate it. Then, he, then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt shame in their nakedness. They've never felt this feeling before. They've never felt guilt. They've never felt shame. And they didn't know what to do in that moment. So what did they try? They sold fig leaves together to cover themselves. The first reaction to creation's first ever I don't know what to do moment was to try to figure things out on their own. And we all know that that solution did not work. It didn't work because as we continue to read, we see something else that they did that didn't help them out either. Notice that Jehoshaphat doesn't ignore the problem. Anybody in here likes to ignore a problem when they come face to face with it? That's what Adam and Eve did. Sowing fig leaves to cover their shame didn't work. And so they hid from God. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord amongst the trees. Like... You know, sowing fig leaves didn't work. I still feel guilt. I still feel shame. I still don't know what to do. And now I hear God and he's crying out to us. What should we do? Maybe if we hide and we ignore the problem, stick our head in the sand, then everything's going to be all right. And, And the Lord will come through and he won't be able to find us. And when he leaves, our shame and guilt will just magically go with him. That didn't happen. And Jehoshaphat didn't respond that way. It comes natural, but he didn't come up with a solution of his own. He didn't gather his army and gather his 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 commanders and say, hey, we got to come up with a plan. we got to find more soldiers. we got to find more weapons so we can defeat this army. It's not what he did. And he also didn't just lay around and say, I'm sure it'll be fine. Yeah, it's a big army. They're only 25 miles out, but I'm sure nothing will come of it. He didn't do either one of those things. And let me tell you, when, when we just ignore the problem, a lot of times we want to say, hey, you know what? I'm ignoring the problem. But it's not that I'm ignoring the problem. It's just the Bible tells me not to worry about it. So I'm not worried about it. Listen, ignoring a problem is not the same as not worrying. Okay? The lack of worry comes from confidence. And we should have confidence. Our God is bigger than any problem that we face. But that confidence should be in the God that is the God of this universe and not confidence in the fact that a problem is not actually happening. Because the truth is we all face situations where we don't know what to do. And when Jehoshaphat faced those, the first thing he did is he begged the Lord for guidance. He begged the Lord for guidance. This is what it says in verse 3. He was terrified at this news, terrified, but he begged the Lord For guidance. This is exactly what our first response should be when we don't know what to do. Now listen, it's not uncommon. It's not uncommon when we get faced with situations that are so big that it feels like the weight of the world is on our shoulders that we cry out and say, God, please help. And we cry out for guidance. But notice what this isn't. This isn't an invitation for God to bless Jehoshaphat's plan. Right, that's, that's the category that I fall into. God, give me guidance in executing the plan that I've come up with. We know this wasn't what Jehoshaphat was saying because we can keep reading and say that not only did he beg the Lord for guidance, but he prepared to hear from the Lord as well. And verse 3 continues, He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. So people from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. You see, it's one thing to ask the Lord for guidance. It's a whole other thing to prepare our hearts to hear from the Lord. Jehoshaphat did that through fasting. So fasting is is still an effective method to turn our hearts and turn our ears and to turn our minds towards God. Anything that that we can fast from that will remove a distraction, whether it's food or whether it's technology or, or whatever the case may be, it's important that when we ask the Lord for guidance, that we prepare our hearts to hear from the Lord. Now, it's not the only way that we can do it. We have God's Word. We can get into God's Word, and we can read it. And with the the help of the Holy Spirit, we can discern what He's saying. The Holy Spirit can speak to our heart, and we can hear from the Lord that way too. We can do it through prayer, and we can do it through worship. Jehoshaphat here did it through fasting. But he didn't only do it through fasting. um, He also did it by getting people around him to fast and seek the Lord with him. Now, Jehoshaphat had an advantage that we don't have. Jehoshaphat was king of Judah. So when he petitioned the people of Judah and commanded them to fast with him, guess what the people of Judah did? They fasted with him. Now, I don't know about you all. Have you all ever tried to tell somebody to do something and they just say No. Right? We don't have the same power that Jehoshaphat had. We don't have that title of king. We can't just say, hey, listen, I'm going through some issues. I'm going through some problems. I need you to come beside me. In other words, what we need to do is we need to prepare our group, prepare our brothers and sisters in Christ to walk through the battle and walk through these type of situations before the battle comes. And so it's important that we surround ourselves with people that will walk through the valley with us, that will go through the problems with us, that will face these type of issues with us. Let me ask you a question. When life leaves you wondering what to do, who do you have around you that you can call to seek the Lord with you? You have those people. I'm not talking about people you can call and and, and tell them, hey, the weight of the world is pressing down on me. And they're like, man, that's that's that. Man, that's bad stuff. I'm going to pray for you. Talk to you tomorrow. I'm not talking about uh, the the people that will be like, hey, listen, um, you know, can I can I can I bring you a casserole? Like That's good. And it's great to have people praying for you, but I mean people that would get down in the pit with you and walk through that with you. I want you to see that's exactly what Jehoshaphat did. Like he didn't ignore the problem. Uh, He didn't try to come up with a plan on his own. He begged the Lord for help. He prepared himself to hear from the Lord. And then he surrounded himself with people that would seek the Lord with him. That was step number one in overcoming this I don't know what to do type of moment. As we continue to read, we find that not only did he seek the Lord, but he began to pray. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I got that one, Jeff. I got that one. When life is hard, that's the first thing I do. Lord, please help. That's easy. But I want us to look how Jehoshaphat prayed. Because if we pray like Jehoshaphat prayed, I think we can get a lot more strength and going through these type of issues. This prayer was more than a, the Lord help me type of prayer. There's a formula in this prayer that I think we can emulate when we don't know how to handle the situation we're in. If we continue to read 2 Chronicles 26, says he prayed, O Lord, God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. You see, Jehoshaphat here prays a prayer of worship. You know, we we want to put worship in a box. We think that worship is three or four songs on a Sunday morning before the preacher walks up here to give us a message. But but we can't put worship in a box. You know, both the, the the primary word for worship in the Old Testament and the word in the New Testament means the same thing. It means to, to bow down or to, to lay one's face on the ground. All worship is is an acknowledgment of God's glory. And you look at the prayer that Jehoshaphat prayed right here, that's exactly what he was doing. He was acknowledging who God was, he was acknowledging who God is, and he was acknowledging how powerful God was. I mean, we can't put worship in a box of three, four songs. We can worship God any place, anywhere, and anytime. He didn't just pray a prayer of worship, though. Joseph had also prayed a prayer of remembrance. I love as he continues to go through here in, in verses seven through nine. And he's just uh he's just remembering everything that God has done uh for for his people throughout time. The, the the fact that he promised, made a covenant with Abraham, promised him the promised land. He talks about how they took care of them in the wilderness, and he's just remembering everything that God had done, how he had delivered them from the hands of the Egyptians, how he had led them through the wilderness, how he had provided water from a rock and manna from the sky, and, and led them with a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of of fire at night. And and he's just remembering how well that the Lord had taken care of his people. I got news for you. God hadn't forgotten. God remembered. But Jehoshaphat needed to remember in that moment. And I don't know about you, but whenever I face, I, I don't know what to do moments it's not the first one I've ever faced before. I've walked through those before. And when I think about the one I'm currently facing, I can think back to previous times that I've been in that type of situation and I can remember how God had delivered me through that, through that situation. I can remember how God was faithful. I can remember how God had grown me. I can remember that no matter what, God is still good, he is still powerful and his plan is so much better than my plan. And that's what Jehoshaphat's doing. How remember, Lord, how you've taken care of your people. I worship you. I remember that you're good, and I remember how you love us. But He doesn't just do that, and He doesn't stop there. And I love Second Chronicles twenty twelve. He's worshipped, He's remembered in that prayer, but in verse twelve, verse twelve, He surrenders. He surrenders. Let's read this. Oh, our God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We do not know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. Do you hear that prayer? That prayer of, of, Lord, we don't know what to do. We're, our power is not strong enough to overcome this mighty army. The reason I'm not coming up with a plan because there's no plan that I could possibly put together that could overcome the force that is coming out with us. But Lord, you're powerful, you're mighty, and our eyes are on you. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, God, if you deliver us, Then you're mighty. He says you're mighty whether you deliver us or not. If it is your plan for this army to come against us and for us to, to have victory over this army, God, you're powerful enough to have, make that happen. And our eyes are on you. But God, God, if that's not your plan. If that's not your plan and this army continues to march and they close the gap of that 25 miles and they show up at the gates of Jerusalem and they just come against us and they destroy us and we're defeated, that doesn't change who you are, God. We still surrender to you. You know, there's times that we cry out and ask God to change our circumstances and our circumstances don't change. I think the reason that is is that when God doesn't change our circumstances is because He wants those circumstances to change us. And let me tell you, no matter what circumstances that you face, the circumstances that you're up against, they don't change the character of God. You hear me? God's still good, and God's still mighty, and He's still able to deliver us no matter the situation that we face. You know, how we handle uh, circumstances should put a magnifying glass on God's character people should be able to see how we respond and know who God is by the response that we have when problems come against us and let me tell you spoiler alert if you continue reading and we're not going to do that this morning but God tells Jehoshaphat that the battle doesn't belong to Jehoshaphat that the battle belongs to God and listen, there's a, there's a mighty victory that is given Jehoshaphat and Judah in the remainder of 2 Chronicles chapter 20. But I don't want to focus on that this morning. It's important for us to remember that the battle's not ours and the battle belongs to the Lord, but the result of this situation doesn't matter because it doesn't change who God is. And it doesn't change whether or not He's good. It's real easy to fall into this trap when we come before God and we say, God, things are bad. And if they turn out the way that I want them to turn out, then God's, you're good. But if they're not, then I, I'm done with you, God. I'm finished. So there's, there's no better example of that that I can share with you uh, than a story that that it's painful to even share Jennifer and I have good friends of ours back in Texas named Josh and Christina. And man, our, our, our lives were just kind of intertwined. Um, they, they started dating about the same time me and Jennifer started dating. They kind of had something to do with us getting introduced to one another, and they got married. And a few months later, we got married, and they had a kid, a son named Boomer. We had Rachel. Um, about the same time, and then two years later, uh, they have another uh, child, a girl named Ashby. We just found out that Jennifer uh, was pregnant with Matthew. Man, I just, our, our lives just kind of matched up. We went to the hospital, celebrated the birth uh, of little baby Ashby, and a couple days later, they go home. Uh, with their two kids and celebrate the birth of, the, uh, of their new child with family. And they're inside with the baby and, and, and Boomer and, and grandparents in the backyard and everybody's just laughing and smiling and celebrating and having a good time. And, and Boomer cuts his finger and goes inside to get a Band-Aid. And uh, while he's in there, he gets a Band-Aid and family send him back outside to play. Uh, but in the time that he was in the front of the house, the family had gone around to the front and a little baby boomer goes to a pond that they have on their property, and uh, they find him. They start CPR, and man, the text message and the phone calls go out, "Please pray. It's a desperate situation. I, I don't know what to do. I don't know what's happening, but we need prayer, and we need prayer now." And Jennifer and I, we, we go to the hospital, and the, the waiting room is full of friends and, and family. And we're not there long. The doctors come and get Josh and Christina. And, and uh, while they're out, another friend comes into the, the waiting room. And yeah, I mean, you can tell by the look on his face. He says Boomer didn't make it. A couple of days later, we're, we're in a church at, at, at Boomer's funeral. The place is packed. There's, there's no other place to sit. Hundreds of people standing along the walls of the church. And Josh and Christina are sitting up front. You know, it's just a few feet away from Boomer's Casket, and they play this song. The song they pray, play is, is praise you in this storm, and like, I can't wrap my head around that. Like, I know, God, that you're good, and I know that my plans are not your plans, and, and I know that your ways are not my ways, but right now, Lord, I, I don't know if I can praise you right now. And and Josh and Christina had to have picked this song, and I don't know how they could have possibly picked this song in this moment. And I look up and there's hundreds of people sitting as that song begins to play, and Josh and Christina stand up and raise their hands and in that moment choose to worship their creator. It's 14 and a half years ago, and I can I can still see it like it happened this morning. Because it was a magnifying glass. That they were placing on who their God was. Did the circumstances turn out the way they wanted them to turn out? Absolutely not. But was God still in control? Yes. Did He still love them? Yes. And since that day, they've been blessed with more children. He served faithfully in ministry and i'll never forget the magnifying glass he placed upon the character of god because how they responded when they were in their biggest i don't know what to do moment and so here in just a second we're going to give you an opportunity we're going to pray a prayer i'm going to sing a little bit of a song and and you you have a you have an opportunity and so, if you're here tonight or this morning, and and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, we're going to have ministers standing at these tables. You can go and ask them uh, how you can enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you want to know how you can become part of this family right here at North uh you can go to those tables and, and ask them about that. You can ask them how to be baptized. You can you can do any of those things. But but as I pray, if you're in one of those I don't know what to do moments, you have an opportunity to respond. Exactly how Jehoshaphat responded. You can cry out. You can pray. You can pray right where you're at. You can come down front and pray at the altar and just give it to him and pray a prayer of worship. Pray a prayer of remembrance of what God has done for you. And just pray a prayer of surrender and say, My ways are not your ways, God. I trust you to do what only you can do. Choice is yours how you respond respond like Adam and Eve ignore the problem try to figure it out yourself or respond by surrender let's all stand as we pray Heavenly Father Lord, we just thank you so much for your word we thank you so much for who you are we thank you so much that you've given us an opportunity to have a relationship with you Lord or we know that um, circumstances aren't always easy we know that there's times that that we face issues that, uh, Lord, we, we have no choice but to rely upon you to get us through that situation, Lord. And if there's people in this room and they're in the middle of a I don't know what to do situation, Lord, I just pray that they turn to you, they look to you, they seek to you, and they surrender to you, Lord. Lord, thank you so much for your son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Our hope is that this message has encouraged you to seek Christ in your own life and make Him known wherever you are. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.